At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is The Edge with Jonathan Von Tobel and Matt Humans on VSN, the sports betting network. What's up, folks? Welcome in. We have The Edge here on VSN, the sports betting network. Matt Humans not here today, but we have a great Great co-host at this place, Adam Burks, with us at Skating Tripeds, Tripeds, uh, Tripods up on Twitter. And, of course, the author of our uh, daily newsletter, bi-daily newsletter. You write two of them every day, don't yeah, you? Two of them. One's for free and one's for subscribers. That's right. So one at 3 a.m. for us and the other at about, uh, what, 9 or so in the morning Pacific yeah. time? All right. So all those words that you write, it's this guy right here. You knew that already. Uh, so well-dressed, too. Absolutely fantastic. All right. We got a good show on tap. Jimmy Ott's going to be with us in about 15 minutes from now. Uh, discuss everything. Uh, we'll, we'll focus on the SEC and college basketball, Jimmy. This pretty interesting schedule. Uh, really fascinating spot for Auburn, I think, today. Um, that is, um, it's, I think when you initially look at the board and see, yeah, it's a really short line. I think it's more of a tricky spot. Uh, that might initially be thought. We'll talk about some SEC hoops uh, and some college hoops in general with Jimmy. And then Brian Geltzahler is going to be with us, founder of HoopsCritic.com, host on SiriusXMNBA. There's a couple of things worth mentioning today in the association. We'll touch on them briefly here, but we'll get to the nuts and bolts in it uh, with Brian. But I, I think really at the forefront is uh, the Sacramento Kings shipping off Tyrese Halliburton, among other pieces, uh, to go and get DeMontis Sabonis. Pretty fascinating from a big picture standpoint. It doesn't really matter uh, in our realm because we're a betting network, and uh, you can't really be, you can't really bet on two years from now. Will the Sacramento Kings and do you really want to uh, win an NBA Finals? The other that is interesting, Adam, from a betting standpoint uh, this year is the Pelicans going and getting C.J. McCollum because now currently in control of the tenth seed. DraftKings took down the yes/no playoff props that they've been having up for a while. If you can find, and depending on the price, what is out there on a yes for the Pelicans to make the playoffs, like that's the betting impact, I think, of the trades today for this season. The Pelicans seem to be a team that would be able to threaten in a very weak Western Conference play-in picture. Yeah, I think it's an excellent point. And again, there are a lot of different options when you talk about betting NBA futures. You can look at the props market and all that. And also, too, the thing for McCollum is, you know, coming off of that lung injury, yep. he's going to be very, very fresh the rest of the year. And that's something that I think you, you know, you kind of concern yourself with a little bit because we've had all these COVID alterations to the schedule and all that. You know, we've had some shorter off seasons here recently. You know, guys, we obviously see players sitting out all the time. But a guy like McCollum will be very, very fresh the rest of the way for the Pelicans. And I think that's something that could really benefit them, especially if the schedule condenses a little bit as we go throughout. Yep. So we'll, we'll talk about the other stuff and all the other rumors that are out there with uh, Brian coming up in 30 minutes from now, including the big one, which is, of course, uh, James Harden and where he's going to end up, if anywhere. I don't think he's going to go anywhere, but uh, I am not connected like Brian Geltzer, so he'll be able to tell us. With, I, I do want to ask you something real yeah, quick, actually, JVT, about this Kings deal, right? Yeah. So it, it sort of feels like the Kings were a team kind of building for a couple of years down the line. Then they make this trade. You know, the guys in that locker room have to kind of be wondering, like, what what is what are we doing here? Like, what is going on with this organization? So you say that, you know, maybe it doesn't have a lot of betting impact right now. I would kind of question that and say, you know, does this sort of not from a morale standpoint necessarily, but, you know, are these guys that are just going to kind of look at this thing and go, 
well, I, I don't really know what we're doing the rest of the year. Like, you know, do you see a lot of flat efforts coming from the Kings the rest of the way? I would say no, only because it's not like you traded Halliburton away for like dog crap, right? You like, you got DeMontis Sabonis, who's a pretty good basketball player. Uh, you also have other role players in like Jeremy Lamb and Justin Holiday that are coming along with it. Uh, Holiday and Sabonis have a pretty good like uh, set. Like they're, they play really well together. So like, I, I don't think you would punt on the more, like, I think the morale would still be there for them. It, to me, it's more of like, like Sabonis and Rashawn Holmes, like they don't fit together. So you'd at some point, like I would think Holmes is gone, right? Like it's just, there's a lot of weird fits with this roster now at this point where you just don't understand from a construction standpoint. But I think like if you're like a De'Aaron Fox, for example, I think you're looking at it like, all right, cool. Like I got a guy who can work with me in the pick and roll and that'll be a lot of fun. I already have a dude that worked with me in the pick and roll with Rashawn Holmes, but maybe that makes us a little bit better and pushes us toward the play-in. So I think that's the way I would look at it, I think. Do you think it matters from a total standpoint with them going forward? You know, it, might, it might. I think Sabonis, it's, so it's funny, Sabonis individually is actually not that good of a defensive player, but if you look at the numbers this year, he's greatly improved the Pacers' defense this season. Like, we're talking about a difference of, like, nine points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. So I don't know, like... I'm really curious to see if he makes them better defensively because it's like for today, for example, part of the handicap and I wrote about this in the column was, you know, if Sabonis and Brogdon are going to play together today, they're actually, they're giving up like 103 points per 100 possessions with them together on the floor. It's a really good defensive rating. So he could potentially make them better on that end of the floor. But at the same time, the trade-off offensively where he's not a floor spacer, so he's going to kind of clog up the lane if you're doing lineups with him and Rashawn Holmes together, their offense could be worse. So to a certain extent, Maybe some of these Kings games going a little bit more under the total if he improves them defensively and makes them worse offensively, right? If that makes sense going forward. Yeah, no, I was just curious because, I mean, look, you know, anytime you, t you add and subtract players, yep. especially in the NBA, you know, there's going to be some sort of betting impact, whether it's on the side or the total. So I just kind of wanted to pick your brain about that a little bit. Yeah. So we'll see. And there's more deals that are set to come down here. And uh, this is, again, trade deadline coming up near the end of the week. So we'll see if uh, we're going to get anything else as we move on. So really quickly, last night, I wanted to get your thoughts on Kansas and Texas because th this was absolutely fantastic. 79-76, a, a wild ending between these two. Texas gets a big win at home over the Jayhawks. Uh, the jumper from Allen sends number 20 over in that win. Um, a ridiculous three-point shot at the end that Bank did and had no prayer <laughs> going in for the most part. But, hey, Bank was open, and Texas gets the win there. Uh, but, so what have you made? My question here is, as Texas closed the one-and-a-half-point underdog and gets the outright win at home, like, what, what do you make of Texas? Because I think I know what I know about Kansas, right? They're a pretty good program. Uh, they're good defensively. They have one of the best players in the country in Ochai Obagi, Obagi. But from Texas' perspective, their offense seems insanely disjointed at times. The rotation is, like, long and necessarily not really a good thing, right, in terms of trying to figure out who your main guys are. I've just – I have yet to put my finger on what Texas is at this point this year. Yeah, I think it's completely fair to have all of those questions about Texas. And, and look, I mean, this is a team yesterday that had 1.146 points per possession. It was their highest yep. points per possession since January 4th against Kansas State. And they were three for 20 from three in this game. They were awful. So it's kind of unbelievable that they were so bad from three, yet wound up having this really good, basically outlier performance offensively. Not something I would expect to continue. They take on Baylor on Saturday. That'll be a really interesting game. Maybe it was just sort of one of those situations for Kansas where they played so well against Baylor over the weekend mm -hmm. that, you know, it's just kind of the, the up and down nature of, of college basketball really over the last few years where it seems like teams are having a little bit of difficulty stringing together a lot of really good performances back to back to back to back. And for Kansas here, they were unable to do it. Whereas for Texas, you know, they get, they do not play well in that game at Texas Tech. Chris no. Beard returning back to Lubbock. Oh, then that was lambs to the slaughter. Yeah, that was bad. Right. And then they dominated Iowa State. And then this, you know, quality performance against Kansas. 
maybe on Saturday, you, you don't really expect the same thing from them against the Baylor team trying to bounce back a little bit. So I think it's just kind of the nature of the beast in the Big 12 with a lot of up and down. All right, so if you go up on the, the website, vcin.com, uh, one of the articles you can read, college basketball rematches for February 8th. Um, so obviously very popular trend in college hoops handicapping. The revenge angle, right? They're meeting up again. Uh, the revenge angle bit a couple of betters Friday night. Colorado State looking for revenge against San Diego State. They ultimately blow that game. They win, uh, but they allow San Diego State to get back within that number, and that got pretty inflated by, by the time that thing tipped off. I think it closed three and a half, if I remember correctly, against SDS2. Uh, regardless, you got a couple of rematches here. You've got a couple of spots, of course, uh, where teams are looking for revenge. You actually got a couple of spots where the teams on the road are looking for revenge for home losses. Uh, but walk us through, I think, the one at the top of the list, right, Illinois-Purdue, um, this rematch here, or this rematch between these two. And right now, we've seen this move uh, a little bit. Purdue, five and a half now with a total of 146. Yeah, you know, I'm not really looking at it from a revenge standpoint. Okay. I think those angles are, are largely overblown. What I'm looking for are some statistical outliers from the first game. Is there something that kind of stands out that could potentially be actionable for the second game? Like, for example, in that first Illinois and Purdue game, which wound up being 96 to 88. It was 138 points at the end of regulation, but the game did go a couple of overtime periods. So the total today, 147, that last game was 138 at the end of regulation. So kind of like the under a little bit because of that in tonight's game. But Kofi Cokeburn only played 22 minutes of the 50 minutes in that first game because he was in foul trouble. Obviously, that makes Illinois a dramatically different team. So you would expect tonight he's out there on the floor more often, Illinois getting the five and a half or the six, just kind of looking at that first meeting, seeing that the game went to double overtime when Cokeburn wasn't really that big of a factor yeah. makes me think that Illinois is probably the side for tonight. Now, maybe they don't cover, but, you know, again, looking at that first matchup to try and find some kind of indicators, I think is a really important handicapping practice. And this is a game where it does stand out because Illinois' best player was so limited. I mean, look, he, we're talking about he played barely over 40% of the minutes in that first game. Yeah, and, you know, the thing that stuck out to me when you're looking at Purdue and what they've done lately, and I, I would agree with the line move here, um, how about these last, like, like these last three games, for example, you're talking about games with about six, 66 possessions or so, a little bit less, but 81-78, 88-73, 82-76, their defensive efficiency has not been good the last three games. Well over a point possession allowed to all four opponents. Uh, if you're looking at their last three, over 1.1 points per possession allowed to their last three opponents is Ohio State, Minnesota, and Michigan. Uh, like Purdue's, I think, a pretty good team, but it, when I've watched them at times, especially recently, their defense has left me wanting quite a bit, you know? Yeah, and that sort of feels like that's kind of been the thing for for Purdue a lot over the last few yeah. years, over the last few years of the Matt Painter era, where they're very, very good offensively, and they just kind of outscore teams. And you wonder if they're able to outscore Illinois tonight to the degree to actually cover that number. By the way, something else from that first game that I wrote about uh, in the subscriber newsletter today and then also posted over at vston.com, Purdue, 32 free throws in that yep. game, plus 14 at the free throw line in that first meeting. Now, obviously, some of that was Illinois trying to get the ball back, you know, while they were trailing and all of that kind of shortened the game and everything. But they extend the game, I should say. But again, that's one of those things that you want to look at. Was there a big free throw discrepancy in the first game? Something like that. That may not be the case in the second game. All right, last uh, minute here before we get um, uh, to our guests. What do you make of Marquette? They, they continue to deliver in a lot of these spots. I haven't been impressed with UConn. Like when we're talking back-to-back -back losses now for the Huskies. Uh, lost by 11 over the weekend to Villanova. And you hear the number continues to climb in favor of them. Now we're up to like six and a half in some spots. Yeah, what Marquette's done has been really impressive. Right. And, and, you know, obviously we would expect that on the defensive side with Shaka Smart. But offensively, they've been much, much more consistent, much better in that department. And also, too, you know, look, if you've got a recent rematch, that's one thing. When these two teams played, it was December 21st. 
Marquette was a much, much different team at that point in time. They lost to UConn 78-70 at home. That dropped them to 8-5 and and 0-2 and in conference play. Since then, as you mentioned, they've gotten much, much better. So to me, I, I kind of like the team that's got a, a little bit of momentum going and is obviously playing with a much better rhythm than UConn is. Play Wrangler Squares and celebrate their 75th anniversary with a free shot at a share of $75,000. Head to DraftKings.com slash Wrangler Squares now to get in on the action for football's biggest Sunday. Wrangler. For the ride of life. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right. When we come back, we have plenty to get to. Jimmy Ott's going to join us. Host Jimmy Ott's Game Time ESPN 104.5 out in Baton Rouge. Get his thoughts on the SEC card and college hoops. This is the Edge on VSN, the sports betting network. You know that VSN is the best place to get all the betting insights for the big game, and right now you can sign up and get our free big game betting guide. Digital guide is going to give you trends, strategies, props to watch, and tips from our experts. Visit slash Super Bowl to get your free guide. Get ready for the biggest football betting action of the year. Jonathan Von Tobel here. Matt Eumanns, uh, he was in Follow the Money earlier today. He'll be back tomorrow. I know that. I was told. Guaranteed Matt Eumanns is going to be here, even if he has to pull double duty tomorrow. So uh, Adam Burke is alongside. I got a weird itch to, like, watch and handicap baseball this morning. I don't know why. <laughs> but I don't care about that right now, and I don't know why I'm mentioning it, because we're going to talk college hoops. Jimmy Ott's with us, host of Jimmy Ott's Game Time, ESPN 104.5, Baton Rouge. Jimmy, it's good to talk to you, and we appreciate the time. Uh, wanted to start with a fascinating spot here, Auburn. On the road, what do we make of this spot for the Tigers against Arkansas? Open two and a half uh, with a total of 149 and a half. It's moved toward Arkansas. The total's gone up to 151 and a half. Auburn, three and four against the spread despite being undefeated on the road. Uh, this, I think, I smell an upset. It's not a big one, but a tiny one here. Jimmy, what do you make of this spot for Auburn? Yeah, uh, no doubt. A tricky spot uh, here for Auburn, uh, but is it really an Look at the SEC guys for a big part of the conference uh, season. We, the, the home teams, especially uh, in packed arenas, have really paid off uh, this year. But this this one might be a little bit different for Auburn coming off that scare in Athens. Uh, both in the top 30 in pace of play, uh, Auburn's guards constantly pushing the ball, attacking a rim, and will shoot the three. The difference here is that Auburn's depth uh, is uh, is better. Uh, than Arkansas. Their seven players, top seven players, average between 23 and 27 minutes. Nobody playing over 27 minutes, including uh, Jabari Smith, who's uh, probably going to be the number three pick in the draft. No more, uh, three more guys averaging in double digits, a lot deeper uh, than Arkansas. You also go in there that their star in Jabari Smith, they don't rely on him. He gets his points within the flow of the offense, and they got the best rim protector in the country in Kessler. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, they're committed to their coaching style where they constantly push it, push it, push it, and they're deep. One caveat, though, Zepp Jasper mm -hmm. did not dress out in the game in Athens. He did make the trip. He is participating in shoot-around. He'll be a game-time decision. He's their best perimeter defender. So, and then Auburn, the, the highest pace of play team they paid this year was Alabama. They swept them easily uh, home in a win. And you go with Arkansas, well, after losing their first three SEC games, they've won eight in a row. Uh, and the thing about it is, though, who have they beaten? Missouri, South Carolina, A&M, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Georgia, and that LSU team that we know in Baton Rouge is struggling really poorly. So maybe a little bit uh, a soft schedule coming into this one. I like the style in this one. I know it's a, a public play here. Usually go against it, especially at home. 
but kind of uh, going from the pass line to the don'ts on this one, I'm taking the Auburn Tigers after getting that scare out their way after an emotional win against Bama to be more refocused tonight in, uh, in Bud Walton Arena. Jimmy, you mentioned the pace and how these two teams are going to play. Uh, those uh, uh, Alabama games were pretty quick and up and down. Both of them went under the, uh, over the total. Do you agree with this uh, total move here from 149.5 to 151.5? Yes, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, Arkansas is going to... You know they'll oblige, <laughs> you know, and their uh, their pace of play statistics don't lie, and so you know they should get it. It's just a matter of the uh, if the shots are dropping. Uh, no tag, uh, they they still manage to win. Uh, it was a weird cover against State on Saturday night, mm-hmm. where they're up four and ten second differential on the shot clock, and the guy still pulls a twenty seven footer and knocks down a three. When State refused to foul, I couldn't uh, figure out what both teams were doing uh, in that spot, but still. Um, Note was off, and that's a good sign for Arkansas going into this one, that they were still able to win without him because they rely heavily on him. He leads them in, uh, in minutes and uh, points and steals and assists, and he's uh, third in the team in rebounding. So, And the game in, uh, in Baton Rouge, where they kind of turned their season around, where they overcame, uh, overcame an eight-point deficit, he went out with four fouls. And when he went out, I mean, they fell behind by eight. When he came back in, he leads them to a 15-point turnaround. They win by seven over the last six minutes of the game. He's real, real important, but Auburn's way, way more than a one-trick pony. Jimmy, let's stay down in your neck of the woods here in Baton Rouge because we've got LSU, who their only win in their last seven games came against this Texas A&M team that they're facing tonight. LSU, a one-point favorite on the road, total 132, 132.5 for this one. Money has come in on Texas A&M today, taking this down from the opener of 2.5. In that last meeting, Jimmy, LSU only made 20 shots from the floor. They had 24 points at the free throw line, outscored Texas A&M by 11 at the free throw line, won that game by 6. What do you think happens tonight? Can this LSU team get back on track? That was a hard-fought win uh, as well. Down three with less than a minute to go. Bawani Wilkinson uh, knocked down his first three of the game. And then uh, A&M, LSU gets a stop, and A&M fouls. And you talk about the free-throw line uh, right on the rebound. So an easy two points to take the lead for good. They tack on four more free throws for the rest of the way. This LSU team started out red hot this year, 13-3. Uh, and three against the spread, 15-1 overall. The only loss was at number one Auburn, where they fell behind big but came back in, uh, in pressure. But it started to change when Xavier Pinson went out um, against Tennessee. And, look, you know, this run, they were 5-1 uh, you know, in the conference, including wins against Kentucky, the blowout win against Tennessee, and the trip to Gainesville. Number two NET in the country. They had the number one opposing field goal percentage. Uh, top, top five in Ken Palm. They were rolling. But then Pinson, and I mean, Xavier Pinson, he's not uh, Isaiah Thomas or something. I mean, my goodness, this team has crumbled uh, without him. Since then, they are one in six against the spread. They're one in six uh, straight up, and uh, including that hard fought, uh, that only win was a hard fought win against AM. And not only this, guys, but their opposing team's team total, LSU's opponent's team total was 15 and one to the under. I'm sorry, 18 and one to the under. They've gone over the last five games. Uh, they, you know, we talked about their number one opponent's uh, field goal percentage defense. They've forgotten in this offensive slump and in this losing streak as well. Forgotten what has gotten to this point to begin with, and that's their great defense. 
They're not playing good defense. They've given up 76 a game the last three. That's 18 over the season average leading into three games ago. I like A&M uh, at home in this one, and I'm favoring the under a little bit as well. Jimmy, you know, Ken Palm still has LSU as the 16th-ranked team in the country. That seems a little high, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, they were playing great. And the thing, JPT, that they, they avoided, they avoided these quad five opponents, you know, yeah. these 250 to 330 type of uh, RPI or NET opponents. And so they scheduled smart. They, they didn't have a ton of great wins, but they, they didn't have uh, any, any bad opposition that brought their, their strength of schedule down. But this is a team, this is, this is, I mean, Will Wade yesterday met with the media, and he's talking about next year's team, and he talked about maybe how he made some mistakes in roster, in roster building and things like that. Everything besides Texas A&M. So I just wonder about this team. They were never in it against Vanderbilt. Uh, on, on Saturday night, and it's just a it's a team that's fading right now. It's, just, it's an auto fade until they give me signs that they're otherwise. Now, I, I, one of the teams that humans and I uh, really, really like a lot, of course, and how can you not, uh, by Ken Palm's metrics, the second best team in the country, uh, Kentucky. They're a 10-and-a-half-point 10, 10 favorite on the road today against South Carolina, total 144. Uh, you know, you could, if you have anything on this game, we'd love to hear it, but also just big picture-wise here for Kentucky, fifth in the AP poll. But the more you watch this team, Jimmy, the more you, I, I think this is a, a legitimate team that is going to compete with anybody in the country, and this looks to be the best rebounding team in the country. I like everything uh, that this team has to offer. Completely different. Talking about uh, roster building, completely different with Calipari. He's been doing with his one and done, uh, you know, extreme approach. I mean, the starting five are uh, three juniors, a redshirt senior, and a freshman. And, uh, you know, their only loss in this run is uh, at Auburn, where uh, Washington only played uh, eight minutes, the uh, freshman point guard from Arizona. So, uh, South Carolina, this matchup tonight. Um, they beat the teams that they're supposed to. Bandy twice, Georgia, and A&M in the conference. They lose to the teams they're supposed to. Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, Arkansas, and at Mississippi State. So probably the same. You know, Frank Martin gets, uh, he gets his team to, to play with a high effort, but this is men and boys tonight uh, in South Carolina. It's a big number, uh, but uh, the Kentucky uh, should win comfortably tonight, and you're right about that. And it's funny how Cal changed his approach in building that roster this year. Maybe it's a transfer portal being way more of a, a factor in building a roster in college athletics overall. All right, last 60 seconds here with you, Jimmy. Give it to us. we got a big game on Sunday. What are you expecting in the Super Bowl? <laughs> JVT, I heard you yesterday say you got a little Joe, Joe Cool fatigue, baby. Yeah. But don't buck him, man. He's going to embarrass you. I mean, hey, well, how about this? The, the, the worst t- television time class. Ever been a Super Bowl team that played the first game on Saturday, the sec- next week the first game on Saturday, the first game on Sunday? Nobody wants to watch the Bengals. They have a horrible offensive line. But, I mean, look, I took them against the Raiders. I took Tennessee against uh, Joe in the uh, in the, the divisional round. I took the Chiefs against them. I'm back on his train, man. He burned me too too many times. I'm going to take the points and hope for a close game. Hey, man, isn't that the way these things are going the last two weeks in the divisional and conference championship round? Yep. Jimmy Ott again uh, out in Baton Rouge. Jimmy Ott's game time is the show ESPN 104.5. Jimmy, it's good to talk to you. Thank you for the time, sir. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. You got it. Yeah, you mentioned it. I'm a little – look. I actually, I bet on Burrow in the AFC Championship game. Had him in the divisional round, too. I enjoy him as a quarterback, but I'm just like, enough of the Tom Brady comps. And like, you know, like, it's just, we're getting a little burned out. Cigar smoke, it's a bad image from a child. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to put that out there. Bad role model, you know? I think that's where I'm going here. All right, we'll come back a little NBA on the other side.
on VSN, the Sports Betting Network. All right, welcome back in. Hey, 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 look at this. Super Stacks for Super Bowl 56. Compete for the $1 million top prize with the Pizza Hut Fantasy Football Millionaire. Head to DraftKings.com slash Pizza Hut Millionaire to draft your best lineup and play for your slice of the pie. No one out pizzas the hut. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. That would be the kind of millionaire I'd like to be, a Pizza Hut Millionaire. I mean, I take being a millionaire, period. But Jonathan Von Tobel, Adam Burke, that is a that's the hard hitting commentary you're going to get on this version of the Edge. Matt Eumann's not here to reel me in. Uh, let's welcome in Brian Geltsiler, founder of HoopsCritic.com, host series XM NBA. Uh, we appreciate the time, Brian. So I want to start by reading you a quote, and I'm going to get your thoughts on this. Quote: I am going to be here, and I am going to help change the culture and history of this franchise. That franchise being the Sacramento Kings, and that person being the newly acquired Indiana Pacer guard, uh, Tyrese Halliburton. What is the Sacramento Kings front office doing? That's a great question. I mean, it's I don't understand how you take a young player like Halliburton, who you're not going to have to max out when his second contract comes along, because he's probably not going to play up to that level. But he's a guy that you win with. And a guy that you could probably sign to a reasonable number, a second-year player that you have seven years of financial control over, for a guy who's made an all-star team in Sabonis, who can certainly put up some very pretty numbers for you. But frankly, guys, I wouldn't let him guard my spot online at the bank. Like, he is so bad defensively, you'll never build a top-ten defense around him. And unless you can piece together an offensive juggernaut and trading Halliburton and trading Buddy Heald, which I know they've been looking to trade Buddy Heald, but his contract these days for what's left in it is not the worst contract in the world. It's not like you're offloading bad contracts here. So I, it's a very hard thing for me to understand exactly what Sacramento was doing here. What I would guess is this. Uh, and, and I know some of this. I know they were talking to the Knicks about the Air Fox and Julius Randle. They wanted more from the Knicks than the Knicks were willing to give in a Fox deal. Separating Fox and Halliburton was something they wanted to do and they were determined to do. They ended up choosing Fox over Halliburton. I thought they made the wrong choice. I think Fox is a better player. I think Halliburton's a better teammate and it's easier to build around. And the reason they did that is because they could get more return for Halliburton. So they kept the higher-paid player uh, and the player that fits in worse with other teammates. Garrett Fox is a guy that's not an easy guy to be around. He's not the warmest guy in the world. He's very got a lot of interest outside basketball that he's very much into. And, and to me, I don't know that he's the leader you want to necessarily build this thing around. I, I just think Sacramento drops the ball here in a very, very big way. And listen, they were lucky to get Ty- Tyrese Halliburton where they got him. And not that the bonus is going to be a bad player for them, but they're, they're the, the eternal hamsters running on the wheel, and they will continue to be that. Yep. Uh, and so both teams right now, uh, well, the Kings have a little bit of a better shot getting within the uh, play-in in their respective conference. They're two games behind the New Orleans Pelicans who made their own deal, which we'll get to. Uh, it, it, does that do anything for you, like in terms of the Kings making a push for that 10th seed? Is, is this more likely now with Sabonis, or is this just, uh, you know what, they're kind of just going to float around to this area that they're at and they don't really have a shot at getting that 10th seed? Well, listen, no, I'm not, I don't think, I mean, I don't, they have a shot at the 10th seed, no. but what does it exactly mean? And, when, you know, I mean, you, to what, to be cannon fodder for a top team in the conference? Where's that getting you? Where's that moving your program along? I know they haven't made the playoffs in a long time, but what, they're going to try to make it here just to say they make it and sacrifice some of their future to do it? It makes no sense. Now, I'll also say this. I'm not sure they're done. 
I think you may see another deal here. I know we've heard Harrison Barnes' name bandied about a lot. I've heard now, and especially with Sabonis on board, that they think they may be able to generate some value somewhere for Rashawn Holmes. So I don't know that Sacramento is dumb, but to me, making a push, trading a younger player for an older player here to try to make a push for the play-in tournament is why Sacramento's been Sacramento for all these years. One thing I say all the time about the Kings, guys, the Kings are going to king, and they just did. So let me ask you then, because it, it seems to mirror the move that the Pelicans made, right? Like the Pelicans go and get C.J. McCollum to essentially push for or solidify their seed, I guess the 10th seed. Like I get maybe big picture, C.J. McCollum, Zion Williamson, all that, but that, that seems to be kind of a similar move, no, that the New Orleans Pelicans made today? Yeah, listen, I don't think it was a good move, but, I will, I, but the goal was different. The goal here for the Pelicans was to be able to show Zion Williamson, look, Zion, we're trying. We're trying, we'll do whatever we have to do to surround you with the best players that we can to get you to stay here, to get you to re-sign with us and not sign a qualifying offer and go to free agency or not pull a Ben Simmons on us, sign, you know, sign an extension and one year into the deal, come to us and tell us you want to leave. They're trying to show Zion Williamson that they're trying. And they did show Zion Williamson that they're trying, but they made a terrible deal for their future. Since C.J. McCollum... He's a very good offensive player. He's another one who can't guard anybody. He's, a, he's the main reason Portland's defense has been as bad as it's been for all these years, and they've struggled defensively and haven't been able to get themselves as far as they want to go. And McCollum's a big reason for that. He is not a good defensive player. And the other thing is this. This guy signed a three-year, $100 million contract extension. He's in year one of right now. Not the longest contract in the world, but it's a pretty rich contract for a guy that's 30 years old. And what they trade for him, Josh Hart, they just signed to a three-year, $36 million deal. Josh Hart's another one. Guys like him at that price tag are guys that you win with. Alexander Walker's a nice young player. And you know what? If the Pelicans don't advance, get into the plane, and don't advance in the plane, and this pick falls between 5 and 14, which is I think it's likely to do, Portland gets their first-round pick. That's a, for a guy that's got a mediocre, a bad contract in C.J. McConnell. That's actually a haul. And i got to tell you, guys, over the weekend, I thought that Portland made a trade. When you look at what they gave up in the end to get Covington and Powell and what they got back was embarrassingly bad, embarrassingly bad. As bad as that deal was, give Joe Cronin credit. He spun this one and did I. C.J. McCollum could have very well, and a lot of places around the league was being treated as a liability because of that contract. He was able to get an asset haul for him. I give Cronin a ton of credit for that deal. Brian, certainly going to be a lot more moving parts as we go throughout the week here, but let's look at a few games for tonight real quick. The Suns and the Sixers seems to be the game of the night, to be sure. You've got Philadelphia, one, one-and-a-half point favorite, total 217-and-a-half for this one. How do you think the Suns and Sixers match up tonight? You know, it's interesting because the Suns aren't a back-to-back. They gave up a cover last night late the Chicago Bulls in a game they had control of most of the way. I would imagine this one on national TV, the Suns not to do that. I'd have a very difficult time tonight not taking the Suns, even though it's a small amount of points. You know, I to me... You know, I know that a lot of people look at it as a wrong way and a sucker bet when you see one of the best teams in the league on the right side of that column and that underdog column. I look at the Suns tonight and they're the consistency of their effort and feel like for them this is a night that they come out and win this game. One thing about Philly is this. Everybody's reading the news and the headlines in Philly. And you got three players in Philly, and Maxie and Thibel and Seth Curry, that aren't sure they should be buying green bananas this week, guys, because of all these rumors going on. That affects a team. I like the Suns here tonight.
I like that. That's true. They should be buying green bananas. It's a great. Uh, that's great. All right. Uh, let's go to Nuggets and Knicks. I want to get your thoughts here because the Knicks now consecutive days in which they have blown uh, consecutive games in which they have blown double digit leads, right? Third quarter double digit lead for them against um, the Jazz last night, but still a failed cover against Utah. And then we know what happened over the weekend against the Lakers. Injury reports pretty lengthy here. Among the names, Mitchell Robinson is not going to play tonight. Uh, what do you make of this spot? Second leg of a back to back for the Knicks now in Denver. I think it's going to have a problem tonight. I, you know, this is a very hard back-to-back just because of the altitude. When you combine that with the fact that last night, guys, when Mitchell Robinson went off the floor, they were a mess. Jones Noel looks, looks terrible. Terrible. He's never been a – I don't know many years in the league he's been this bad. Adoka Azubuike outplayed him in the last four minutes of that third quarter last night, and the Knicks should have been up by 15 at that point. But Noel got out-hustled. He got outplayed. He went to the free-throw line in the play, got fouled, missed two free-throws. was a mess. So who are we playing at five tonight if you're New York? I mean, is, are we busting out Jericho Sims out there? Is Toppin finally going to get extended minutes at five? Are they going to go ultra-small? Against Jokic here, it's you know you're playing against Nikola Jokic tonight. It's a bad night not to have Mitchell Robinson out on that floor. I you, you have to take the Nuggets and lay all the wood here. I know it's going to be a lot. You got to take the Nuggets and lay all the wood here. This is the Knicks have been on this road trip for a little bit. Last night was an emotional loss. It was a silly loss. It didn't. I know they lost by nine. They didn't end up covering. It, it was a, a game they should never have lost against a shorthanded Utah team. I think the Knicks are a team where very slowly but sure because of everything going on, this whole young guy, old guy divide, playing the guys making the money, not necessarily playing the guys that should be playing. You know, an issue with Tom Thibodeau and Leon Rose regarding, you know, Cam Reddish not getting any minutes. All those things combined are weighing on the mix badly. Julius Randle's bad behavior and not acting like a leader out there. This is one of those where I think the Knicks mail it in early. I think you can see the Nuggets really yuck it up on them and, and, and win by a big number. Brian Yeltsiler again, SiriusXM NBA Radio, Hoops Critic, uh, of course, founder of HoopsCritic.com. Brian, it's good to talk to you. Thank you for the time, sir. Always my pleasure, guys. Talk to you both soon. Take care. You got it. Big game tonight, too, later tonight. Uh, Milwaukee and Los Angeles. Lakers catching three and a half with a total of 233 and a half. So I'm very analytically sound, right? I like my numbers, right? I like matchups. I like all those things. I have a theory with the Bucks. So they go in January. Uh, they are 7-8 and eight straight up, 5-10 and 10 against the spread, right? Just kind of going along, whatever. They lose to the Cavaliers. They don't really care. Giannis eating food in the postgame presser. They get blown out at home by the Nuggets by 36 points, 136 to 100. They have since ripped off three straight wins and covers and blowing teams out. I think they have been woken up, but we'll see if that's going to be the case tonight. Three and a half, 233 and a half. All right, we'll come back. We have best bets, a lot more to get to in both professional and college hoops. Super Bowl props, man. We got 15 minutes to do it. This is The Edge on VSIN, the sports betting network. Welcome back. This segment of The Edge brought to you by Zen Nicotine Pouches, a fresh way to enjoy nicotine without all the baggage of cigarettes, dip, or vape. No more smelling like an ashtray. No more spit cups. No batteries to charge or leaky equipment to deal with. Zen Nicotine Pouches are smoke-free, spit-free, and available in 10 varieties like spearmint, wintergreen, citrus, and many more. And for your convenience, each variety comes in two strengths, so you can easily find the satisfaction level that's perfect for you. Zen, America's number one nicotine pouch, is available in over 100,000 locations nationwide, meaning it's never been easier to find your Zen. So head on over to Zen.com slash find, locate a store near you. ZYN.com slash find warning product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Whew. All right. 
We've got a lot to get to here in the next couple of minutes. First off, so usually we do best bets here, and we're going to get to some Super Bowl props that I've played. But before we get to the bets themselves, especially in the NBA, Adam Burke is filling in for Matt Humans. We have not done our daily Super Bowl update, four and a half with a total of 48 and a half. Okay, we have done the update. It's been like that for, been <laughs> for, that way a while. for over a week. For yep. a while now. But what we have not done is get your thoughts on the actual game, just from the basic side and total perspective. Where are you at here? Yeah, from a basic side and total perspective, I have to take the four and a half with Cincinnati here. You know, look, not only do I think they can win the game, and I said coming into the playoffs, I thought the Bengals were the highest variance AFC playoff team. They could lose to the Raiders or they could beat anybody. Turns out they've been able to beat anybody as they beat the Chiefs last week. But look, this is a defense that's been much, much better in the second half. Sean McVay gets ultra conservative when he has a lead. Burrow's going to be able to throw his team back into this game if he has to. So I just think getting the points here makes a lot of sense because the Rams running game is not good. So if they can't play keep away from the Bengals in the second half, Cincinnati will get their chances if they are trailing. I know there's a lot made of the offensive line issues for the Bengals, and look, they've had those all year long. Burrow's still completed over 70% of his passes, still threw for over 4,600 yards. Maybe the Rams' pass rush is, is a lot better than your average pass rush, but Burrow's faced this all year long, so I think I have to take the plus four and a half here with the Bengals, and you know, look, like I said, I won't be surprised if they win the game outright. As far as the total goes, slightly into the over, but nothing super concrete for me. Yeah, you see the screen there too, by the way. Uh, it is important to note that the four is out, and uh, it's important to note because that's the South Point's number. The South Point doesn't alter the juice. So if you want to lay four, if you want to get out there, uh, South Point Hotel and Casino, where we're sitting at right now, it is at. Actually, it's at, I think it's at today, minus 105. If yeah. you want to get out there, yeah, so you got a special. So uh, run on down to the tip of the strip out here in Las Vegas. All right, so with that, let's get to best bets. Uh, we can touch on props as well and get Adam's thoughts on some of the things uh, that I have out there. You want to start NBA first? Let's go there. Yeah, all right. Well, this is just from the this is um, you know our, um, from the column this morning up, vcin.com slash JVT. This has been quite the move, and this is because James Harden is not playing. Uh, under 216 and a half uh, up on the um, website this morning. It's down to 212 and a half in a majority of spots because you're not going to get Harden out there. And very quietly, the Boston Celtics are now third in defensive efficiency on the year. They, they have consistently been awesome on that end of the floor. Their offense has kind of stunk. They're, I think they're 18th in non-garbage time offensive efficiency. But the defense has been consistent. It has been a big reason why they have won seven out of eight games. And uh, the lineup that you are going to see tonight for Brooklyn, oh, it is not going to be good. Patty Mills is going to be out there uh, starting at point guard for them. And then outside of that, you're going to get a mix of Kessler, Edwards, and James Johnson, and DeAndre Bembry. It's just it's not going to be great from an offense-creative standpoint. So from there, we get to college hoops. What are your thoughts here? So I had this circled uh, for a minute. Humans and I did. Utah State plus one and a half against Wyoming. Um, because think about the 10 days that Wyoming has gone through now, right? You extend it back to the loss against Boise State on the road, but they covered. They were a five-point underdog. You take on Boise State twice in the span of nine days. You also have that Colorado State win in overtime mixed in there. This just seems like the perfect spot to kind of circle for a letdown. Yes, Wyoming's at home. Utah State has been a little inconsistent, but lately has, I think, it was four-game win streak for the Aggies coming into this game. Just think that uh, this was the spot to kind of play against them. The numbers moved off a three down to one and a half, but still uh, feel relatively comfortable back in the Aggies here. Yeah, and and a lot of times what I like to do with college basketball and really across all sports is to look for context clues in the betting market. You know, when you look at this game and and a lot of people are going to wonder, how is this line only one and a half? You've got a Wyoming team that's in the top 50 in both effective field goal percentage offense and defense are in the top 30 in effective field goal percentage offense. Why is this line as short as it is? Well, there's a reason why, and I think it's a lot of the things that you hit on. So I agree with you. I think Utah State is the play tonight. Yes. Wyoming, a great team. A great team that you heard out here first when we were talking about their matchup with Cal State Fullerton on an on a empty court. 
and unders against Denver that got blown in the second half because that really sucked. Uh, all right, Tuesday's place for Matt Eumann's Wisconsin, plus four and a half uh, against Michigan State. Uh, these, of course, uh, were from Follow the Money early this morning, just recapping what he put out there. Uh, he's on Utah State, plus one and a half, and Illinois, plus six. But let's focus on the Big Ten matchup at the top there, uh, Wisconsin taking on Michigan State. What would you make of this matchup uh, for the Badgers? Uh, because, too, if I remember correctly, uh, when they played Michigan State the first time around loss, that was an 86-74 the, was it Tyler Wall who wasn't available for them in that matchup the first time around? Yeah, and look, this is also a scenario to me where Michigan State, I mean, I, I was on with Jeff Parles on Saturday night on Bet Center down at the Circa, and we were talking a little bit about this Michigan State team giving up 84 points to Rutgers yeah. over the weekend. They lose that game by 21. You know, look, in these major conferences, it's just so hard to get through the gauntlet, right? I mean, there, there's something tricky about virtually every game that you end up playing. So for Michigan State, they come off that road Maryland win. They won by a bucket. A Maryland team that's not particularly good this year. Then they play really bad against Rutgers. Can they flip the switch tonight against a Wisconsin team that's much, much better? You know, the last two data points for this Michigan State team coming off of that Michigan victory have not been all that good. And yep. so I think that Wisconsin's probably the side that you look at tonight. Maybe Izzo flips the switch. Maybe that's just what the Spartans do. But I agree with uh, with humans here on this one. Yeah, and it was Tyler Wall who wasn't available for them in that first matchup and uh, a pretty big presence for them, uh, both uh, – figuratively and literally for Wisconsin. So you would think that make a pretty big difference uh, for the Badgers there. All right. With that, uh, where do you want to go next? I let the board guide me. Wherever you guys want to take me, you're in control. So wherever we go after this. All right. Super Bowl props. Uh, so this is from uh, – we have a lot going on here. Let's talk about some of these props. Get your thoughts on this, Adam. First off, Matthew Stafford over passing yards, 278.5, available over at stations. Uh, I think this is one where uh, – look, I, I think highly of the Rams. I bet them minus 3.5 uh, on, um, on conference Sunday once the line was set. I think that from a offensive standpoint, I think that they're going to be able to operate at a pretty high level. And if you look at some of the numbers underneath Stafford's like general stats, this has been an offense with Stafford that's been really aggressive downfield. Average depth of target at nine yards, very good intermediate and downfield in terms of 20 or more yards downfield. Bengals, uh, bottom of the league in terms of 25th or lower in both yards after catch allowed and air yards allowed per game. So I think this lends itself to Stafford having a big game through the air. I didn't know how I wanted to approach it really from a yardage perspective from the wide receivers. But I do think passing yards perspective, I think that he is going to have a pretty big game. So Matt Stafford over passing yards, 278 and a half. We'll start there. What do you think of that? Yeah, I tend to agree with this one. I tend to agree with both quarterbacks over their passing yeah. yard total actually in this game. The thing about Stafford is late in the regular season, Sean McVay really relied heavily on the running game, specifically Sony Michelle. But here in the playoffs, it's been Stafford, particularly in the first half of games. It was the same thing against Arizona. They got out to that big lead against Tampa Bay in the divisional round. It was largely because of Matthew Stafford. And they used Stafford a lot in that conference championship game as well, at least in the first half. So, yeah, I think that McVay has kind of realized, look, our running game is just not very effective. It's going to have to be through the air. And Stafford has performed very, very well here in the playoffs so far. So I think you're on the right track there. Yeah. Uh, also, in tie into just like a regular prop there, Odo Beckham Jr., Super Bowl MVP, uh, 25 to 1. Yeah, look, Cooper Cup's awesome. Uh, he's going to be the focus of the attention, I think, defensively for the Bengals, who you mentioned have been playing much better. I, I think this thing uh, opens up for Odo Beckham Jr., who has seen his targets each of the last two rounds go up. Uh, we saw him post that 100 yard game last time around. I, I think this sets up, uh, I'd rather have a ticket on Beckham Jr.
Jr. 25 to 1. Then let's say Aaron Donald at like 15 to 1 uh, to win Super Bowl MVP. So give me Beckham Jr. Super Bowl MVP at 25 to 1. And then some cross board fun. These are not going to be uh, all that I've added to the Super Bowl prop list. I'll have more in terms of some of the basic props. But Matthew Stafford completions minus two and a half over Evan Mobley points and rebounds. So the Cavaliers are playing the 76ers on the 12th. So that ties into that matchup. Mobley, if Embiid plays, it's going to be a tough matchup for him grabbing rebounds there. Burrow completions plus one and a half over Darius Garland points and assists. Garland hasn't played for the last four games, and that game could actually be his first game back from an injury. We'll see if he maybe plays tomorrow. Uh, but if that's the case, you can talk about potential minutes restrictions, all sort of things, maybe not fully healthy. So just kind of playing that angle there again against an elite defensive team. And then Matthew Stafford, longest completion, plus a half over James Harden points, rebounds, and assists. Harden's not been the same guy. We have seen it. Last time we saw him on a court, it was Sacramento where he scored four points. Just hasn't been great. Uh, I think that, um, and by the way, Cooper Cup with that big playability, low-key big play guy. So those are the three crossboard props that we got up to this point. Yeah, the one I want to touch on is, is the Beckham MVP prop because I actually wrote something up for tomorrow's Point Spread Weekly about the MVP market. Nine of the last 12 have been quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Of the three that haven't been, two were defensive players. The only wide receiver, Julian Edelman, uh, in that 13-3 to ugly yep. Super Bowl between the Patriots and the Rams. 15 of the last 25 have been quarterbacks as well. Of course, Brady has five of those. So <laughs> it is a challenge for any non-quarterback offensive player to win the MVP. But if you're going to take a shot at a wide receiver, Cup's not the one. The price is not good enough. Same thing with Jamar Chase. You would try somebody else. I think I'm mostly going to stay with the quarterbacks, but you know, at least at 25 to one, you feel like you're getting some kind of equity out of Beckham. All right. And anyway, waste management Phoenix open this week. It's going to be a fun tournament uh, for humans. Jordan Spieth at 21 to one, Scotty Scheffler, 25 to one, Sam Burns, 35 to one and Andrew Putnam at 88 to one, two golf futures, one for Maddie Y already up to this point. All right. What do you got? You got last 30. The floor is yours. I'm leaving. <laughs> the only thing I got tonight, I was actually looking at Ohio against Toledo tonight in Mac College Basketball, which I'm sure everyone's very excited about. Uh, the first game, Ohio had their worst defensive performance of the season by far. Their second worst was against Kentucky. So what Toledo did to them in the first meeting, not probably not likely to be repeated here. So Ohio plus the three tonight in Mac College Hoops. Hey, good write-up on that on VEASAN.com, up on the front page. So I want you to check that out. That's Adam Burke. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Good today. time. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. My guys in the desert coming up next. We'll see you.